If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Today, we're going to be talking to Krista Lamp, who is with Classy, you know Classy, the CRM, the one that you turn to when you're looking for, like, okay, what database might we use around fundraising and engagement? Well, the reason we're talking to Krista is because she is a veteran of the PR world. She has worked uh, in the agency world, which, of course, is the for-profit side. She's worked in the nonprofit side. Um, but most of her work in the nonprofit side is actually kind of in an interesting way where she's often working with organizations that are for-profit businesses started by nonprofits or for-profit businesses that seem to operate a lot like nonprofits, very mission-minded. Maybe today what we might think of as some B Corp organizations. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, Christy, we got to get you on to have a conversation about ways that nonprofits could be thinking about their marketing and PR and doing it even better. And one of the interesting parts of her specialty when she was in the agency world is she would often work with some of these smaller startup businesses. And I'll share with you, I see a lot of parallels between the nonprofits and that are often on the smaller side. And when I say smaller, I don't mean this in a bad way, but, you know, most nonprofits have budgets of less than a million dollars um, and startup businesses because, you know, startup businesses often hope to grow, but a smaller nonprofit that has a budget of a million dollars, even if it's 10 or 15 years old, might still look a lot like a startup. And so I felt like Krista had so much to share with us around this. At some point in the conversation, I feel pretty confident that we're going to end up having a conversation as well about a recent report that Classy has put out, the state of modern philanthropy, and some other things that Classy is doing. So the final thing I want to share with you, and to me, this was one of the reasons I'm like, oh yeah, I, I got to talk to Krista, is like me, she took a career break. So she spent, I think, 12 or 13 months traveling the world. I'm a little jealous because I only spent eight. Um, but so we may hit on that at some point. But you'll probably hear that on the Off the Map. Hey, Krista, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dolph. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Of course. Now, before we hit record, I know we were talking about some of the really unique work you were doing in the in the PR agency world that was really, again, with for-profits, but so very closely aligned with the nonprofit sector. Yes. So I spent about 15 years in PR agency life prior to leading brand events and communications at Classy. And some of my favorite clients that I worked on were these for-profit companies that were doing something different and unique in the social sector. And I um, I do think, to your point earlier, that there are a ton of parallels between what they were doing and, and the nonprofit space. I was fortunate enough to work with one client who actually had a nonprofit in East Africa and then decided that it was a lot more sustainable to help their populations there if they created some some for-profit company, I should say, that would export the artisan goods that um, their communities were making there. Um, Another company I worked with was actually founded by a nonprofit as a way to sustainably fund the nonprofit mission. And so that was just such a unique business model, something I had never seen before. And, you know, for all the nonprofits listening, I know we struggle with, with making sure we have funding for our missions. And so that was just a really, really unique way to do to do that. And I know you may not be able to name the for-profit, but what type of business was that for-profit that got started by a nonprofit? Yeah, it was it was actually a beverage company. And so what was really cool about it, it was a beverage company that was funding a human trafficking organization. And the way it was started is um the founder of the nonprofit started his nonprofit because he had found out that there was trafficking in his own backyard. You know, we we often hear of trafficking that happens internationally, but there's um, not as much of a spotlight on trafficking happening here in in the U.S. And so he was really shocked to learn this. And and what he found is um, he continued to travel the world, talk to trafficking victims, and in one place in Peru, he kept finding out that trafficking victims were all coming from one small village in the Amazon. And so he literally went upstream to try and find the root of the problem. And there he discovered some amazing ingredients, which is so interesting on how this came to play. And and he actually took those ingredients back with him from this town in the Amazon and worked to create a really nutritious, delicious beverage out of it that would then funnel money into his human trafficking nonprofit. I will say that's a really unique story, and I would not have thought beverage company and human trafficking. I might have thought beverage company and clean water for countries all over the world or communities all over the world, but I would not have thought clean water and trafficking. That's really unique. And it, it was a direct tie. Like he found these ingredients just by accident as he was was doing more research for the human trafficking he was seeing. And he thought, you know, why not combine these two things? I can make a really unique, amazing consumer product that I think people are going to love. And when they love it, I can pour money back into the cause that I'm passionate about. So how cool is that? That is really super cool. So I'm curious... This is a startup business, and now you're brought in to figure out marketing for them. Yes, yes. So um, a lot of what we did with this company is, you know, that story is a hard one to tell. There's lots of tentacles. There's lots of history with that and how he actually got down to the Amazon and why he was there. And it's not easy to tell on the back of a bottle. 
is it? And so um, what what we worked closely with their team on and their internal marketing team um, is how do you distill that story down into something that's digestible for the consumer that demonstrates the impact? So when a consumer is making a choice, they choose that product versus the product on the shelf next to us. And I think as nonprofits are solving really complex challenges, um, you know, the nonprofit community is faced with the same challenges. Like, how do we clearly articulate our mission and our programmatic impact um, to our constituents, to our supporters, so that they feel compelled to give and give to us time and time again? And, and so I, I really do see parallels there. And I know one of the things before we hit record, you also talked about the importance, although not with this company, but you talked about the importance of having three things you want your consumer donor, whoever, to remember and take away? Yeah, you know, I think if, if there are three things that you want your end, end user, I'll say, whether it's on the for-profit or the nonprofit side to remember is, is just the big why. Why should, should they choose you? Why should they give to your mission? Why should they choose a product? Um, and, and that can include impact. I think it, you know, secondly, you want to articulate your impact. You wanted to do it in a way that makes sense. You, um, whether someone is giving $5 or $5,000 or $5 million, what is the impact of that donation going to be? And then um, after that, it's like, how can they continue to support and continue to make a difference? So I think that's a great three-step process. That's awesome. Now, I know that you transitioned out of the agency world and you came to work for Classy, which, as I've already said, it's the CRM, it's the engagement company. It's a for-profit with a heart of a nonprofit. And can you share just a little bit of what you're doing with Classy? Yeah, so Classy is um, a donor experience platform that connects supporters with causes that they care about. And we've helped 6,000 plus nonprofit companies raise money online. Um, our customers have actually raised over $3 billion for their missions since we we started as a software company a decade ago. And um, you know, our goals really with Classy and our technology is to make the donor experience and make giving really, really easy. So if I'm going to go back to the parallels of the for-profit world, if you were to go online and you were going to buy a t-shirt, if that process was clunky and you weren't able to check out uh, the, your, your shopping cart in the way you wanted to, you would probably abandon your cart and you would never buy that t-shirt. And at Classy, we think it's the same thing in the nonprofit space. If a donor is coming to your page and it's difficult for them to give, you, they can't really see what impact their donation is going to make. Maybe they don't have the payment method that they want to pay by. Um, then they're going to abandon and they're not going to come back. And so our goal is to really make it easy for them to give that in turn helps your nonprofit raise more money online. And so as you've come into this role, what are what are some of your key takeaways and how have you worked with some nonprofits? Because I know you mentioned to me that you've um, kind of informally worked with some nonprofits around their own branding and communications. So I think, you know, for nonprofits, um, some of my, my takeaways as I've really transitioned <laughs> to classy and, and that story, taking that storytelling aspect that I had from agency life and moving it into nonprofit, um, I think being able, and I, I've said this before, but to tell your impact in very concise ways will help the donor be compelled to give and then be compelled to give on a regular basis. And so one of the things we do is really put an emphasis on recurring giving. 
um, just knowing that it truly is the lifeblood of any organization. Organizations, when they have that predictable revenue, can better plan and have more impact. And, you know, I think it's it's interesting when you can share what the impact of a recurring donation is in a really succinct way, making sure that you are thanking your donors. We actually did a recurring donor sentiment survey um, a few months back at Classy that revealed that recurring donors want to hear from the nonprofits they're giving to more often, which when you sit back and think, like, I think we're all afraid to send more emails, more communication to our donors. And so that was really a surprising finding for me personally. Um, and, and I think we need to remember that and remember to communicate more with our supporters and our donors. And again, it all goes back to impact and how you're articulating your impact to your, to your donor base. I'm so glad that you and Classy really are pushing the importance of recurring giving. Listeners, I, I know we all kind of know this, but I think it's always just worth the reminder. You know, for a lot of households, $250 is a lot. But $21 a month, which is, let me do the math, $252 a year, you know, that might be doable. Or for a lot of households, um, $1,000 is a whole lot. But $85 a month might be doable, and that's $1,000 a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it, we we subscribe to so many things, right? I, You know, in my house, we get a weekly meal delivery service. We subscribe to Netflix. And so it's those small incremental fees that I'm used to. I said it, I forget it. I, I am used to that. And so why not subscribe to your favorite nonprofit? It just seems like a no-brainer if you want to make an impact in this world. So Chris, I have to share with you my dirty little secret. All right, let's hear it. And this is a little bit of a dirty little secret, but so things I have to subscribe to, like Netflix. There's no other way to get Netflix. I'll subscribe to it. But my New Yorker magazine, I write them a check every year because there's this automatic renewal. And gosh, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. My gym membership, same thing. I'll just pay a year up front because, you know, I don't I don't want the automatic renewal. And that is my dirty little secret. If I can get out of the auto renewal, I 100% will every <laughs> single time. Oh, well, you know, what's funny is um, we've actually recently launched on Classy new recurring frequencies. So it's not just monthly that people can give. They can give annually, semi-annually, weekly, um, depending on their preference. Because we do find that some people just like to give once a year. Some people, you know, like to give monthly. Some people actually like to do it on a weekly basis, just depending on what type of giving they're doing. Um, And then to your point about checks, uh, you know, Classy, one of our options is ACH. So we're able to do um, that, that digital check, if you will, as part of the checkout process. And we actually found that recurring gifts made through ACH were 55% larger than those made with credit cards. So it's interesting to see how some people and their preferences in payment options, just it it really does influence their behavior. Now, I'll also share with you in terms of my giving. And again, this is where I'm a little, I am, I must be a Luddite because I still actually typically write checks for my giving. Um, I've done some like online recurring gifts and that kind of thing. But one of the things I've noticed, and, and this is probably a pet peeve of mine, I guess, and you've mentioned that those that are doing recurring giving often want to hear more. I find that I hear less. So if I make a monthly or quarterly contribution to an organization, I actually hear from them less. Like, wow. yeah, yeah, like they're almost like, okay, well, you know, this person is, has said it and forgotten it. And so mm-hmm. now, you know, we can leave that person over there in the corner and not worry about it. No, I mean, it coming from my experience with messaging and storytelling, like you should treat these donors like they're part of an exclusive club. 
Like they are your most loyal supporters. And so if they are not hearing from you, yeah, it said it and forget it, but it's also really easy to cancel. So you need to make sure that you are constantly talking to them, sharing your story with them, sharing the impact of even their smallest recurring donation, because like if you if you can't lean on them, then who are you going to lean on? Especially, you know, we've seen this a ton over the past year with COVID and how it's really affected different nonprofits. And um, we've truly found that nonprofits that had a robust recurring giving strategy and program um, fared better than than those that did not over the past year, year and a half. So, um, Krista, I'm making all, sorry, listeners, you may not you may not know this, but I'm making all kind of naughty, smiling faces <laughs> as Krista's talking because I could not agree more. Yeah. Um, Got to share a quick story. Back in the day, gosh, this is like 20 years ago. So, so yes, there was digital, but most people were not yet giving online. Most people were still afraid to, you know, put their credit card number online. Mm-hmm. Amazon had not yet taken off. We're talking 99, 2000, that kind of thing. So I was the development director of an organization, and we were doing some recurring giving. But one of the things that we did to speak to that exclusive club thing is because for the most part, our monthly donors, well, that's what we call them, monthly donors. They were giving monthly. And so we actually created a new thank you letter for them every single month. And we always put a little PS that they could opt out of the monthly thank you letter if they wanted. But literally, it would be like, okay, we want to share with you what's going on right now at our organization. And so it was kind of like this inside scoop. And of course, while I was the development director and I would type, typically write it, it was signed by the executive director. And then there were other times, like, you know, some sometimes it becomes a little formulaic, but like in August, we could write a very genuine letter saying, you know, this is, this is the month when we receive the lowest number of donations. And, you know, gosh, you are one of our most loyal supporters. We could still count on you. And let, let me tell you how busy we've been in August and everything that you helped us do, you know, you were amazing and thank you. And it was so funny because oftentimes when we then connected by phone or we saw these donors at an event, they would tell us how meaningful those monthly letters were. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I could not agree more. I bet I bet so many people, no one no one opted out of those, right? Because they were they were so into it. And I think we talk a lot about articulating our impact, but this all comes back to our storytelling and our brand and everything that I've done throughout my career. If you're not thanking those people, if you're not talking to them, if you're not communicating to them differently than you're communicating to other donors, then you've missed the mark. And so I love when you called out that, you know, this maybe was like our lowest month for donations. Know your data. A lot of nonprofits don't know their data. And and if you know it, it could really help streamline your communications. It could help create more impact with your communications. So I, I absolutely love that example. Well, and I'll say picking on August is an easy one for the vast majority of organizations in terms of donor, um, you know, donor revenue. August is almost always the lowest one. So it's easy for me to pick on. You know, <laughs> you know, if you've got a if you have a big event in August, you're probably unusual because there aren't that many events in August. But otherwise, like for most organizations, that's the dry spell. That's that's when they have the lowest cash flow. Yep. That summer slump. Yep. A- absolutely. Now. In the State of Modern Philanthropy report, were there other findings that you really thought were super important? You know, I already called out the one around ACH that made that recurring gift 55% larger. I think a lot of what we saw was the success of peer-to-peer. So our State of Modern Philanthropy report takes a look at all the campaigns that were hosted on Classy over the the past year and analyzes them to find best practices and, and give insights to nonprofits and, you know, um, 
I, I think sometimes peer-to-peer fundraising can be overlooked, but we actually found that if you're doing an event and you're allowing others to fundraise on your behalf, that raised four and a half times more than those that did not have that option. And I think equally important is the fact that four out of five of the people that gave to those fundraisers were new to the organization. So we know that getting new donors is always a struggle for nonprofits. And so imagine just spinning up a peer-to-peer campaign, how that really just helps you expand your network. And then going back to that communication, because I I have to as a communications person, that allows you new donors that you can steward, that you can um, help bring into the fold and hopefully convert to those recurring donors and retain them. I am so glad you said that because when you said four out of five are new donors, that the very first thing I thought was, what is the likelihood that they are going to renew if that same person does not ask them to give again next year? Mm-hmm. And it's that stewardship piece. Do you have thoughts on the stewardship piece? Yes. You know, I think um, going back to a, sometimes nonprofits are afraid of overly communicating. And I think you're never going to steward a donor unless you're talking to them. And so you you have to find different mediums. You know, email is obviously a great way, but we, we all receive hundreds of emails to our inbox. So so where it makes sense is there you know a mailer that that makes sense for this particular donor you know your your annual impact report i think is a great way to um, touch some of these donors maybe they came in through a fundraiser and you know they only did it because their neighbor next door was fundraising for your org and therefore they gave but if you are sharing you know your annual impact report with them and they're really seeing the difference that that one time donation could make i think it helps to encourage them and and really turn them into potentially a, a recurring donor for your organization. So I guess the moral of the story is don't be afraid to talk to people. Don't be afraid to communicate and share your story. And one of the things I'd love to add on that, and I think that's the talking to them, communicating, but a great way to engage is surveys. Like I am shocked that nonprofits aren't using more surveys. And I, I also do some very, very, very low-level Um, political giving. Let me say very, very low level. I've never been invited to the White House or anything like that. (laughs) There have been a couple times that I've had like U.S. senators or Congress people personally call me. And by the way, I know they only personally call me when when they're going to ask me for money. Like that's one of the things I just know. But Mm -hmm. um, I've noticed that the political organizations that I give to are really good at like sending me surveys, which by the way, I typically don't fill out. And if they're in print, I throw them away. If they're electronic, I delete them because they're just so slanted. Like, I just, I can't. I can't go that far. And, and you know, literally, like, it's a funnel to making your next gift, and I refuse to do that. But but I do think that surveys are an underlooked way for nonprofits to engage their donor base. I mean, that's a great call. We at Classy do a lot of surveys to try and understand behavior. We um, did a recurring donor sentiment survey that focused in on that, and we surveyed a 1,000 people in, in July this coming fall, we, we release a Why America Gives survey every year where we survey, you know, thousands of Americans around how they want to give for end of year giving and their motivations. And so that's really important to us at Classy so that we can provide that information to, you know, the social sector that we serve. But and there's some really easy ways that you can spin up surveys um, to your constituents. Google has a great tool through Google surveys. It's not the most sophisticated, but it is something easy to use and really affordable that you can use um, to get more insight from your supporters. And, okay, I got to dig deeper on two things. You said uh, recurring donor sentiment survey. What'd you learn from that? Oh, so many things. So um, 
one of a couple of the big takeaways were obviously that people want to be communicated with more. We also found that it's not a one and done thing for recurring donors. So a lot of organizations think, oh, if you know, that person is already giving on a recurring basis to this organization, then they're not also going to give to mine. We actually found that people are willing to give on a recurring basis to more than one nonprofit. So it kind of takes away some of that competitive nature from us as, or, you know, from the nonprofit community. And, and just know that just because somebody gives to one doesn't mean they won't give to others. You know, my family personally has recurring donations with uh, three different organizations. My husband chose one, my son chose one, I chose one. And we actually use Giving Tuesday every year as a way to take a look at our recurring donations and, and choose other ones and, and see who we're going to give to this next year. And so I think, you know, don't discount the fact that your supporters want to spread their love across more than one organization. And I love that. And I think one of the ways a lot of us can probably understand that is if we think about our own consumer behavior. And so uh, if we think about like the streaming services we subscribe to, and I'll say in our own house, we don't have cable. I joke, we get the TV that comes free out of the air, but that's not <laughs> really true because, you know, we've got we subscribe to Hulu and Amazon and Netflix and some other service called Acorn. Um, you know, so I, I think I think it's much like that. You know, just because someone says, okay, I subscribe to Hulu doesn't mean they aren't going to subscribe to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't even think I can count how many subscription services I have. Disney Plus, like Paramount Plus. I don't even know why I have Paramount Plus, to be honest. Well, I'll share with you. I really want Paramount Plus, although I refuse to get it because it's essentially just CBS's stuff. But I watch CBS um, news in the morning when I'm getting ready and I travel a lot for work. And sometimes I can't get it because it's not uh-huh. on the it's not on the system in the hotel room I'm in or where I'm staying. And so every now and then I'm like, oh, I should get Paramount Plus. But I just <laughs> I'm like, no, CVS News is I'm just not willing to spend however much, 25 bucks a month for it. Yeah, um, I think my husband has it for Premier League or something like that. <laughs> there, there you go. So the other thing I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper on, because now you you totally made me very curious. You said every year you do a survey on how donors want to give at the end of the year. Yes. Talk to us about those findings. Yes. So every um, fall going into giving season, we talk about or we survey individuals to find out their motivations uh, around how they were giving that previous year and why they're giving. Um, Our 2020 report, which came out in November of 2020, focused a lot on... um, both the social justice movement that we saw of 2020 and, you know, um, giving to COVID. And, and we did feel, we found, excuse me, that both of those things grossly affected giving last year, which I'm sure comes as no surprise to anybody listening. But, you know, health was our top cause category for the very first time since we started doing the survey um, three years ago. We also found that the majority of people that were giving to social justice causes were doing so for the very first time ever. And so that there was just some really interesting findings in that around how the the news cycle was actually very much um, influencing giving last year. Interesting. And so it sounds like the news cycle could very well be influencing giving this coming giving season as well. We will see. We're doing the survey again. If I were to hypothesize, I, I, I'm very interested to find out if that's the case, um, to see if people still want to give to, um, you know, subjects like uh, social justice when 
it's not probably as top of the news cycle as it was last year. You know, we did find that many people who responded to the survey last year were committing to giving to those causes on a recurring basis, which I think is really positive. It really showed a upward trajectory towards everlasting change for those organizations. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what donor sentiment is this year when, when we ask those questions. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Krista, we're very short on time. And you know, We've got the off-the-map question, and I can never, ever deprive our listeners of a great off-the-map answer because, really, it's such a great opportunity for us to get to know you just a little bit better. And I mentioned at the top of the show that one of the things you and I have in common is we took a break in our careers and we traveled the world. You did it for, you know, five months longer than me. I did it for like eight months. You did it for like 13 months or something like that. And I know that the question that people always ask me when I tell them I've done that, and it's not the question I'm going to ask you because it's the one that I just, it's not a great question for me. People are like, what was the favorite place you went? And I was like, mm, yeah, exactly, right, right, <laughs> you yes. Can't, you can't choose, right. are you kidding me? <laughs> exactly, I'm like, it, it, it favorite in terms of what? I'm like, food, you know, views, great hiking. I don't know, what do you, what do you, what do you want favorite in terms of? And so I'm intentionally not going to do that. But you- Thank you. Of course, because like again, like that—that's the question. Be like, I can tell you something, but it's going to change tomorrow. Um, so you shared with me that you had a couple of scrapes while riding a motorbike in Southeast Asia. And listeners, if you've been to Southeast Asia and you've spent any time on a bike, or you've just seen people on a bike, you could picture getting in, in a couple of scrapes. So, yes. Krista, tell us about one of these. I, I will preface this by saying anyone who's listening who's been on a motorbike in Southeast Asia probably has a similar story and there's probably worse than mine. I, I got off pretty much unscathed, but um, we were, uh, the one that comes to mind is we were just outside of Luang Prabang in Laos and trying to get away from the backpacker scene at the time. I was in my early 20s and driving on this road to a waterfall and just out of nowhere, I hit a rock or the road went a little squirrely and I crashed and I got up and I was bleeding in numerous places, no, no broken bones, uh, thank, thank goodness. And um, I saw a big chunk of a big metal rod on the motorcycle, um, completely bent and coming off and didn't know what we were going to do. We were in the middle of nowhere, far from town and just kept chugging along and walking until we found a very nice man who had a, a solder that decided to come and just help us on the side of the road. And he was so kind. And I think the, the lesson that kind of came from that is the kindness of strangers is truly remarkable and be kind to each other and, you know, help, help somebody if they're in need, no matter who they are or what they look like or what type of trouble they might be in. So I try and make that a mantra. I remember that person and I try and, um, you know, use that and pay it forward in my own life. I'm so glad that you kind of shared the motto as well and like the lesson from that because you're right. Like when you're on the road, you have these moments where without the kindness of strangers, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, it would be bad. It would just be bad. Yes. And, and I think, you know, coming back home and coming into life back in America, you get busy again, you get your blinders on, and it's, it's a good reminder and a good gut check to be kind to the people around you. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I know for my entire eight month, months off, part of my takeaway was, and this is going to sound weird, but I rediscovered my compassion. Like, you know, some, you know, over the course of decades, it just kind of got worn down and worn down. And when I was on the road, I just had this moment 
multiple moments really where I'd be like just overwhelmed by by compassion. And it was often because someone else just did something that was completely unexpected and very nice. Mm-hmm. Welcomed you in your home, gave you a meal, whatever it might be. Um, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree more with that. It's it, it definitely you rediscover, discover that when you travel. Yeah. Well, Krista, thank you so much for joining us. And listeners, if you are curious and you want to check out the State of Modern Philanthropy uh, report that Classy has produced, you can find that at classy.org. I will share with you, I am looking at the URL right now. I think it's got about 100 characters in it, (laughs) maybe only 60, but it's got a lot of characters in it. So we're also going to link to it in the show notes so that I don't read the entire URL and you just turn this off right now. Um, So the second thing that I just want to make sure you know is that you can also get or watch all of the recordings from Classy's annual conference, which is called Collaborative. So this is a great opportunity for you to go and watch presentations by thought leaders and really think of it as like free continuing ed or free professional development. It's a great opportunity. Hey, Krista, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks so much. This was fun. Well, listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, there are two that you should download and listen to. The first is episode 162. If you recall, we had Perry Monastero on. He's actually a personal friend of mine from Philadelphia who not only does nonprofit fundraising, but does political fundraising. And he talked to us about some of the things that political fundraising has to teach to the nonprofit fundraising world. Things like urgency. And there's nothing like being able to go to your donors and say, we need to hit this today. The second episode that I would really like for you to download and listen to is episode 166. I quintupled online donations and you can too. And that was by Shane Michael and really talked about how he drove online donations and dramatically increased them really using data. So listeners, That's almost our show for the day, but not quite, because there's a couple things I want to ask of you. The very first thing is, please make sure you rate and review this podcast. And the second is, I love to hear from you. So if there's something that stood out to you today or some topic you would love that we cover, we are currently booking guests for 2022. So make sure you reach out to me. I can be found at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. Now that is our show for the day. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And you know, after I sign off, unfortunately the lawyers make me sign back on and tell you the disclaimer. So here goes. I am not an attorney nor an accountant. And neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This should surprise no one. This is episode two hundred and something, something. And I seem to say this every time. This show is really for informational purposes only. I hope you got some great information, but that's all it's for and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or guess what? Accounting advice. If you find yourself or your nonprofit needing that, please, 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 please do not seek that from a podcast. Do not seek that from just people standing on the street corner Find a qualified, licensed professional and ask them. 
And if you're not sure who to approach, like you don't know what type of professional you need, reach out to me. I can help you figure that out. And if you don't know a professional in your area, you can also reach out to me. If I know someone, I am happy to make the connection.